What's up, everybody? Welcome to Long Time Ago Radio, a conversational podcast about Star Wars and the official podcast of the StarWarsPodcast.com. I am your host, Joshua Mobley, and I'm joined by my two favorite fans in the galaxy, Alex Vargas and Rebecca June Lane. How are you two doing? Doing well. Good. Nice. Really good. Cool. I'm actually cool, cool, cool. in Atlanta this weekend, wedding dress shopping with my sister, so that's very nice. special. Uh, very cool. When's the yeah. wedding? Next July, but she's on top of it. We went to we were supposed nice. to go to three places. We went to one place. We found the dress, and she looked phenomenal, and it was all great. Yeah, you gotta gotta get it all out of the way from the from the couple of friends I have that have been married. They they were like, yeah, I'm so glad that I started like immediately. Yes. It was like they got engaged, and they were like, we're we're getting started now. <laughs> we were looking at veils, and I was thinking a lot about Padme's veil, and I was kind of pushing her in that direction. Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah. that's a beautiful... I mean, her... <laughs> all of her outfits are amazing, but her wedding veil is gorgeous. Yeah. But now she, she went for just the regular tool against my recommendation. <laughs> no, nice. that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. Um, Alex, how are you doing? Doing good. With, with Megan gone. <laughs> Uh, doing good, keeping busy. We just did a uh, Long Beach Comic Con with the Five O First, and we uh, got some good group pictures with the Rebel Legion, Mandalorian Mercs. So it was, it was a, it was a good convention. Smaller, but still a lot of fun. That's nice. awesome. It was. I it got... was. Go Sorry. Ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you go. Well, mine's not about. I the was just convention. gonna say it was interesting seeing Megan and with Alex not there. Right. Because I saw her last weekend at the at a baby shower. And you weren't there. I wasn't there. It was weird. Well, I feel like you're going to concern our listeners now. Everything, again, everything. We're all good. No, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. They're just moving. Uh, We're just moving. Yeah. It's fine. Well, it's great because you guys are both going to be in San Francisco, and then it'll be easier for me to come and hang out with you guys. Yeah. Yeah, we can go you you know, always try have to sneak a, into You always Lucasfilm. have a place to stay here. And, Up like, in... slightly political thing, if for some reason Kamala Harris starts running for president, she'll probably headquarter it out of Oakland, because that's where she's from, and then I could maybe be working there, and then we could record together, and that'd be amazing. Just that'd not be pretty Oakland. Cool. <laughs> One day we'll all... Re- well, I mean, we did that already, now that I think about it. We did. I was like, one day we'll record, as if it didn't already happen, like, th- two times. We did two episodes all in the same room. Well, are you guys going to be to record, start recording together once you're up in San Francisco? Um, it might be a little bit of a hassle. We, just we, because could, we should do it a few times, though. We should oh, definitely a few do times. It. Yeah. But it's just because he's going to be in the East Bay and I'm up in the North Bay. So it'll be a little like, it'll be I like an hour drive. Means. We'll, we'll meet you. Uh, I'll meet you at a Lucasfilm. We'll just do, you know, they yeah. have a park. We'll just record at We're Lucasfilm. right outside Lucasfilm. Yeah. And someone will be like, hey, what are you kids doing? Get off our lawn. And they'll run. <laughs> And you'll be like, why am I in a 50s newsreel? Um, That's just my so, voice for other people. <laughs> so I do have to give a shout out to my future, I don't know, does your sister's husband, parent, do you call them anything in law? Anyway, my sister's fiance's, yes, but his parents oh. bought or acquired these amazing star wars shorts that they gave to me which was so super sweet they are like black boxing shorts with sparkly gold millennium falcons all over them and they are amazing and i think you're supposed to wear them inside but i'm gonna wear them everywhere (laughs) because they're just extra and i'm all about it nice that's my only star wars thing that's going on with me what about you guys (laughs) what about you josh um again i'm kind of still on tolkien stuff (laughs) 
nerd. Uh, I did buy more comics, but I haven't read them yet. I'm starting to feel guilty. I bought, like, Afra number three, and I was like, I haven't even read number two yet. <laughs> do you have number two? I do. Okay. Yeah, it's just sitting there. Yeah, uh, as long as you but have I haven't it. read it yet. Yeah. But I want to. I might, um... This was the, this year's part of the problem. I thought that I was going to start bringing those comics to work and reading them on my lunch break or whatever. Because I'm, I'm dieting, and so sometimes my lunch is literally a muscle milk, so it's like, oh, I'll just sit here at my desk. But the problem is me and a few of the other guys set up ga- a game station in the office yeah. that has a, an Xbox 360 with like a bunch of games and an SNES Classic. Oh, interesting so like, choice of two consoles there, but I dig it. Yeah, so it's like I could bring in Afra 2 or I could go play Mega Man X, you know. So it's like, mm, I don't know. I, okay. I need to. I really need to do sit like, down and read. Comics take a hot second. There's really no excuse. They do. They, t- they only take like, I think one of those trades takes like 30, 40 minutes tops. Mm-hmm. See, that's my problem with reading comic books is that, like, I find that I want to spend more time in each cell, but I find myself going through it really fast because I want to know what's going on and I want to follow, like, do it quickly. And then by the time it's over, I'm like, I did that too quickly. Let me do it again and slow down. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a good comic reader. I I just haven't gotten the pacing, the self-controlled pacing. Are you a fast reader? Like, do you read faster than... I am a pretty fast reader, yeah. Yeah, Um, I am not. (laughs) <laughs> I'm also a weird reader with books where, like, if something exciting is happening, like in Lost Stars, when, like, things might be getting busy, like, I'll put my hand on the page so I don't, like, my eyes don't wander and I don't see spoilers. Like, I'm that wow. much of a nerd. <laughs> see, I have an issue where I'll read two pages and then go, what did I just, what happened? And then I, and then I have to flip back because I've zoned out. Uh, I'm the same way, too. Like, I'm just looking at the words. I'm not actually reading them, you know? That's my fear with audiobooks, is that I'll, like, you know, see something shiny and then, like, zone out and not hear what they've just said. But yeah. I would. Have, I had that issue a little bit with... Like, I've, I've had that issue with a couple books. Some books are just so good that you get pulled in yeah. to the audiobook. Um, I think the Star Wars audiobooks do a good job because they have all this music and stuff, so it's, right. like, kind of impossible for you to not pay attention because it's like blaster fire and freaking lightsabers and it's stuff. more like a radio drama than a yeah um but boy listening to an old british man read me tolkien there are times when you zone out and you come back and you're like what's what's going on again oh yeah okay okay super random but i'm binge watching a million things if you follow me on twitter i'm very uh-huh. sorry but um currently going through fraser and they had like an old school radio drama episode. And I was just thinking like how great a legit radio drama for Star Wars would be. Like with different voices and sound effects yeah. and music. You did Didn't know those that people those do exist, it at Celebration right? last year? Well, hold on. The, that They did a radio drama in the 80s. Did they? There's a full, oh, yeah. there's a full radio that. drama, I believe, of all three movies. Plus they do special ones at the different celebrations based off of a storyline that they created a few celebrations ago. We should totally do a full episode on just the radio dramas because they're I really cool. I was going to say, I mean, are any of those canon? I doubt it, and right? And we'll do but... a radio drama about yes, <laughs> radio, radio drama. Radio yeah. drama. You said something about celebration. I asked if they were ah, canon. So the ones at celebration have their own little timeline that they created. I guess they've been doing that for three celebrations. They did one at Star Wars Celebration Florida. Uh, I don't know if that was the end of that little trilogy or if they're going to continue with more. 
but they have their own little smugglers. You said it was the conclusion of one they had been doing. So it was the conclusion. So I'm wondering if they'll do another one for uh, Chicago. That is great news to me. Like, I'm very excited to hear these now. I'm assuming I can find them online. Um... Yeah, we watched them on YouTube, like, in the hotel room. Yes. Or we watched whatever the final one was that they did. So cool. Yeah, Mm -hmm. no, I love that stuff. I mean, and and Star Wars is the perfect amount of drama and flash and sound effects for that. So good idea. Let's check that out later. Yeah. That'd be a fun episode. Cool, cool. Um, Yeah. Is that that what's going on with everybody? Yeah. I I guess. I have no other Star Wars-ness. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I want to get back on some Star Wars stuff. The, my problem was I was reading Last Shot, and there's something about that book that I, I'm having, I'm struggling with. Um, and it's the way that it, like, it, it's separated into three different timelines. So part of the story takes place in, like, the solo a Star Wars story timeline. Another part of it takes place like during the original trilogy. And then another part of it takes place after uh, Jedi. And is it, I don't really know the premise. Is it about who, what is it about? So it's like Lando and Han oh, okay. um, come across this thing that they've come across, I guess before, like it's some, it's something that like hijacks droids and makes them kill people. It's like a virus. Um, and it's fun, but like it jumps back and forth with no rhyme or reason a lot. Mm. Like you'll be in the middle of, you'll be in the third timeline, like the where things are happening and you're like invested. And then all of a sudden it'll jump back to this like super random scene of Han, Chewie, and uh, Sana just in a, in a hangar doing something. And then it'll go back to the OT timeline. And you're like, but okay, when we were talking about the, the other thing, I kind of wish that they had just like, you know, put it in order, like yeah. had just three acts or something. It, it jumps around too much and it makes it confusing, especially I, when you've gone away from it too long. I do like hearing that Sana's in it though. Oh yeah. She's in a little bit of it. She's get, always getting into trouble. He's always getting mad at her. <laughs> That sounds about right. She's like, oh, I stole this guy's speeder. That's why there's like 10 thugs coming to beat you up right now. He's like, oh my (laughs) God, Sana. Jesus Christ. Um, Well, hopefully it pays off in the end and there's some reason for it all. When I finish Return of the King, I might have to see if I can. Because I think I was like halfway done. I I think I just need to reinvest. Just kind of get into it. And and I don't even, I don't know what I want to read after that because i also kind of want to start reading harry potter because i've never you've never read harry potter no but i've seen all the movie i read the first one in elementary school but i've seen all the movies (laughs) that's a that's a true Um, harry potter harry potter fan right there not the same yes i'm a diehard well don't get me wrong i think the movies are excellent i really do i love the films especially the casting it's just out of this world but the books are so magical and the world you build i I think my biggest fear um when the movies came out was that the harry and ron and hermione that i knew in my head were going to be replaced and they weren't i went back and i read the book and it was almost like a totally different experience for me that's good Um, yeah i mean everyone's way hotter that's like standard like (laughs) 
I mean, they're all very good looking people in the movies, but like my brain, they're always unreasonably good looking, you know, just for entertainment's sake. But anyway, main Dope. topic. <laughs> Star Wars. Yeah, let's get in, let's get into our main topic this week. Once again, you're listening to Long Time Ago Radio. Whether you're from the class of '77 or Solo was your first Star Wars film, you are welcome here. And now on to the show. our topic this week we're going to be talking about that suave man of mystery that gray-haired manly man of men <laughs> that bra why would you why would i say that? <laughs> that bra who made the star wars george lucas by the way alex wrote this intro i had fun but we are going to talk <laughs> we're going to talk about the maker himself yes. george lucas talk our, about uh... his accomplishments what he brought to the film industry how star wars got made all that good stuff weird little facts you might not know about him he's very interesting person he is and the time he grew up in and his appearance on the scene that that era in filmmaking you know it's all if you're a film nerd it's just it's you know candy um all the kids who used to hang out together it's awesome and i mean just First impressions of George. I'd kind of like to go around and, and hear like what you guys think of George, because I know when I was a kid, he was my absolute hero. Like he mm-hmm. introduced me to film and filmmaking, and I just thought there was no one better than him. And you know, I, I find his career so interesting in that you know after Star Wars, there was only Star Wars. Um, so it was kind of harder now as an adult to look at his cat his catalog and see him as like one of the greatest directors. Um, also, since he is also such a weird dude. Um, but at the end of the day, he changed my life. So <laughs> I'll still put him, even though I'm a huge film nerd, I'll still put him in my list of top five favorite directors, even though there's only a handful of films <laughs> that he's made, um, just because of the impact of those few. Um, but yeah, I love George. I know some people are like weirdly anti-George, even though they're Star Wars fans. But Yeah, I don't get that. Yeah. Like, they... It's it's, right. it's the butthurt fanboy. That's what it is, which we can go into that a little later. Yeah. There, there is this weird... It's funny, because when you look at sort of the way George wrote and kind of created Star Wars from its inception and the way he kind of felt about it um, up until him selling it, it was sort of like... He sort of was like, these are my toys. He always, I mean, part of the reason he even created, like, Lucasfilm and stuff and, like, left the Director's Guild after Empire or whatever was because he wanted control over over his stuff. He he wanted control over his toys. And I feel like at some point fans maybe got so entitled that they were like, no, you're playing with your toys wrong. And he's like, no, they're mine. You know, I can do whatever I want with them. I don't really care if you like it or not. Right. You know? And and I like that, um, I, I think it was last year's celebration when he was on stage and he was talking about how they went to film. I don't know where I read this. Maybe, maybe you told me this, Becky. I don't remember. It was about how uh, when they were filming in, I think it was Italy, um, in the palace, and there were all these kids, like, with signs and stuff. Like on the other side of the fence, like trying to say like hi because they were big fans or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was he talked about like 
how none of it mattered except for like he he was happy that like kids like that were yeah. excited. He was like he's like I don't really care about the fans. Some of them are kind of mean, <laughs> and <laughs> he's like, but those kids are great. Like those sort of the mentality. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's it's just a it's it's just one of those things. I I I think he. What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. I I give him a lot of credit for just like sticking to his guns, and he kind of sure. knows. He knows what he wants, and he he is making something truly genius that most people, I would argue, uh, just don't see. Yeah. Like they just see a fun space movie. They don't see all of the intricacies, from Absolutely. the special effects to the filmmaking to the symbolism to like the way it portrays lots of different things in the zeitgeist for the time it was released absolutely uh and i don't know he doesn't get enough credit for even outside of just star wars he doesn't get enough credit for some of the stuff he does like helping revive a dying film industry and stuff like that so yeah i have a lot of appreciation for him absolutely do you have general george lucas thoughts alex He's just always been one of those guys who created two of the the my favorite like fantasy realms. Uh, you have Star Wars, which has always been a big part of my life, and at the same time, as you know, as soon as I discovered Star Wars as a kid, I also started watching the Indiana Jones movies. So you have yeah. this, you know, Wild West, mystic, crazy, you know, nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties, nineteen forties feel. And then you have this other space, and they're they're almost two completely separate ideas, but yeah. they're they're just you know they're from the same people, they're from the same yeah. the same guy, and it's just I don't know. I've always I've always enjoyed them. Yeah, no one's perfect. Things change, and you know things and people evolve, their ideas evolve. But either way, these ideas and these worlds are created by you know George Lucas, and it's something that I'm very thankful for. That even though you know some people may not appreciate or or they have you know they have their issues it's you you can only go so far with your with your complaints because ultimately without him we wouldn't have had the worlds that you know we wouldn't have any of the indiana jones movies we wouldn't have had any of the star wars movies even the new ones you know everything evolved from his early ideas and you know just continuing that we wouldn't have a lot of the sci-fi fantasy superhero things we had now because he proved the success that these kinds of innovative storytelling things could 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 create so mm-hmm. yeah so i have a lot of information about how he became george lucas on his road to star wars that i'm going to share with some people um so a lot of, I, I you know went through the Wikipedia and what I found was the best source was an article that pulled a lot from a biography that was written a long time ago that doesn't get quoted a lot. It's called Skywalking, The Life and Films of George Lucas, which was first published in 1983. So if you want like the OG right after Star Wars, I'm a hero George Lucas look. Um, <laughs> this is a good book. It was written by Dave Pollock and Lucas gave Pollock more than 60 hours of interviews Oof. for this book. So there's a lot there and it's pre kind of the chaos that came with the the super fandom. So I feel like it would be a good insight. He probably wasn't as guarded back then. Um, 
But just a little background on him. Um, he was born in Modesto, California. His father owned a stationery store. And he had a very rough relationship with his father. His father was an ardent Republican. He was very strict. He, according to Lucas, was a very conservative, self-made kind of man with a lot of prejudices, which were extremely annoying. I learned very early on not to discuss politics with my father. Um, and apparently the tension between the two of them, especially when he decided that he wanted to be a filmmaker, um, was a huge reason why Lucas had a very anti-authoritarian view, um, which you see in his work. Uh-huh. Um, he was very close to his mother, though, and he describes his, his childhood generally as being a, quote, Norman Rockwell upbringing. Um, he spent a lot of time watching TV, lots of Westerns, lots of war movies, lots of Flash Gordon, um, which you could see that influence of, obviously, in his films. Um, before he wanted to be a filmmaker, he wanted to be a race car driver, and he spent tons of times with cars, and he was a terrible student getting C's and D's. So if you're a horrible student, um, don't be, but also you still have hope. Um, Sorry, some of the smartest people in the world, some of the most successful people dropped out of high school. So yeah, you you still have hope. But yeah, yeah, he used to go to underground racing circuits and would race his own cars. Um, But when he was 18, another driver broadsided him. And there's actually pictures of this. Um, He totally flipped it and wrecked his car and almost died. And he lost his interest in racing at that point. Um, But he also said, quote, it made me apply myself more because I realized more than anything else what a thin thread we hang on in life. And I really wanted to make something out of myself. Um, That was then also coupled with his fascination with the war in Korea at the time. He was obsessed with it, kind of in a romantic way. um, But his older sister's fiance died overseas. And that really kind of you know, had a profound impact on him, the losses and the realities of war. And he said that that had a direct influence on Star Wars and how he really wanted to show like rebel pilots, you know, going down and seeing their faces right before they die to add a human face to the cost of war. Um, So a lot of Star Wars comes from his, you know, upbringing in that. Um, Another fun little fact when he was a kid that led to his love of Star Wars. We've mentioned this before, but in the summer of 1955, when Disneyland first opened, his family drove to Anaheim, stayed a whole week at the Disneyland Hotel, and loved it. He said it had a profound impact on him, and he said he was in heaven. So, Hmm. Foreshadowing. Right? (laughs) (laughs) He was someone who loved the monorail, the futuristic stuff. That was really a huge deal for him. Um, he went to school and he started as an anthropology major, but his father, which he had a rough relationship with, actually gave him an eight millimeter camera and that opened the door for him. He transferred to USC. He got involved in this underground independent cinema club, started watching lots of Godard and Truffaut and Fellini, which are famous foreign directors. Um, you know, he read Brave New World in 1984 and... Hero with a Thousand Faces was one of his favorite books. Yeah. Something Josh mentions a lot. A um, book I've read. It's very good. Yes. Um, which Hero's Journey influences Star Wars enormously, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for film nerds, you've probably heard of the Dirty Dozen, also known as the USC Mafia. They were a bunch of cool kids back in the day who were at USC film school, which 
Back then, it was super easy to get to film school. Film schools had just popped up. Like, it was a brand new thing in the, in the mid to late 60s. So if you wanted to, you could pretty much go. It's not like today. Where... And the economy was not like today. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> At least for college, like, you could, you know. Like, I've heard stories about how it's like, yeah, when I graduated college, like, my debt was like $800 or something. Yeah, it's like, right. oh my God, dude, I wish I had that financial freedom. And not only that, but like there was so much talent concentrated in these schools, which was amazing. Yeah. So part of this USC mafia was John Mil... I'm going to butcher some of these names. I apologize. Milius, who was a screenwriter of Apocalypse Now. Walter Murch, who if you're a film nerd, you'll know a lot. He's an incredibly famous uh, sound editor who also worked on Apocalypse Now, The Conversation, Godfather. Um, Caleb Deschanel, who is a, you know amazing DP, father of Emily and Zoe Deschanel, by the way. Oh. He did The Right Stuff, The Natural, and most recently Jack Reacher and the new Lion King movie that's coming up. Um, an editor, Robert Dalva, who did Shumanji and Jurassic Park, and uh, Willard Hayek, who wrote American Graffiti. Um, so it was just a whole bunch of dude nerds just mm. geeking out, watching foreign films, and picking up cameras and making it happen. Um, through, I'm going to take a little sidetrack to talk a little bit more about what happened while he was in college and directly afterwards, which was the Vietnam War. Um, partly because of his relationship with his father, he hated the war. He, quote, I was very angry at the time, getting involved in all the causes. The draft was hanging over all of us, and we were bearded Frico pre-hippies, is what he <laughs> called himself. Um, he supported civil rights and opposed the war. He actually was drafted um, for the Vietnam War. Um, he considered fleeing. He was going to be a draft dodger. He wanted, he made a plan and he was going to get out of there, but they figured out he had diabetes. So he ended up not having to go. Wow. But, um, that also led to him never taking drugs or drinking. I don't know if you guys knew that about him. Mm, no. Um, but he was obsessed with war and, and the consequences of it. Um, he wanted to make a documentary style anti-war film on Vietnam that he and his friend John Millis from school decided to title Apocalypse Now. Um, obviously that film did not end up in his hands, but yeah, he's the one who kind of made the inception of Apocalypse Now, which a lot of people don't, don't know. Um... But uh, there's a tribute to George Lucas in Apocalypse Now because it was taken away from him by the studios. Um, Harrison Ford's character at the beginning is telling Martin Sheen about his mission, and his his character's name is Colonel George Lucas, uh. as, a, as a nod to Lucas. Um, but Lucas has said that he originally conceived Star Wars as a reaction to the war and Nixon's presidency. I know we've talked a lot about how Star Wars mirrors World War II a lot, but in yeah. fact, it was a lot about Nixon. He said it was really about the Vietnam War, and that was the period where Nixon was trying to run for a second term, which got me thinking historically about how do democracies get turned into dictatorships? Because the democracies aren't overthrown, they're given away, which is a very timely and interesting thing to keep in mind today, and I will move on from that. And it would that. influence Star Wars later. Yes, totally. Yes, which yeah. we see a lot of in the in the, in the prequels as well. Mm -hmm. he, he said in an uh, audio commentary on the 2004 release of Jedi that the Viet Cong actually served as inspiration for the Ewoks 
who were able to defeat a vastly superior opponent in spite of their primitive weapons. So kind of a weird reframing of the Ewoks for me, but interesting nonetheless. Um, so he was a total hippie. Basically, that's the that's yeah. the, the takeaway from that. He was also like kind of woke about <laughs> some stuff. <laughs> like uh. I know that's funny to say because uh, I was reading about uh, like I was reading something about he 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 like talked about um, uh, oh God, what's it called? Toxic masculinity. Like back in the day, sure. Like, I saw some quote from him about how like like talking about that i was like geez george like that's pretty it's pretty far ahead like of like we're talking about that now it's not even resolved well a child in that era in california especially i mean there was a lot going on to yeah to rebel about so i'm not totally surprised by that um the most interesting i mean i'm not going to get too much into his relationship with spielberg i don't know if you want to talk about that later with indiana jones uh they basically just became really good friends in school and like yeah always kind of supported each other and all that but i find uh, the the more kind of important relationship for lucas in terms of because i know a lot of people are probably thinking how does somebody like him become george lucas a, the biggest person involved in his life for that, which a lot of people don't know, I find surprising, is Francis Ford Coppola. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, he Coppola refers to Lucas as his kid brother. Um, <laughs> he got hooked up with Coppola by earning a, an internship at Warner Brothers. And Coppola saw him, liked him, and let him observe his production of Finian's, Finian's Rainbow. And then he hired Lucas as a, quote, general assistant, assistant art director, production aide, and general do everything. So, um, and then the two of them together, by being so frustrated with the system, founded a studio together called American Zoetrope. Which Which is still around today, right? It is. It is. They also created a awesome uh, series of short stories that they released for a while. That doesn't exist anymore, but... If you're interested, you should go back because they they financed a, an amazing collection of short stories from some independent writers. Um, mm-hmm. Just putting that out there as well. They they had a lot of trouble when they started American Zoetrope. They like, did back in the day. They apparently like uh, they had a lot. Like I just watched a. There's a really great documentary that's all about George Lucas's life, and I watched it recently. It was like building an empire or something like that. Yeah. Um, and they talk about how. Uh, they were like, they had lost a couple of jobs and stuff. And George told Coppola, like, well, you need to go find a job or else. <laughs> like, because he had gotten an offer to direct something that he didn't necessarily want to do, I, I guess. And like, George was like, no, you need to do it or we're out of business. <laughs> well, it's something like that. Totally true. And it's yeah. funny because um, I'll get into THX in a second, but. That film was not a success, and it was one of the first things that Zoetrope um, created, and it was a really questionable thing. And then I think American Graffiti even came out, and they were still in the red. They were not doing well, and they're like, oh, gosh, Americans. And that that movie was a success. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll get into that a little bit. Um, But, you know, like you said, he had to. Uh Uh-oh. Sorry, we're having a little mic issues from Alex, but we'll ignore them. Um, it just, just for a hot second. For a second. Really yeah. We're good. Creepy. We're good. But 
Coppola, you know, was lucky enough to have a, a, a little hit that I'm not sure you've... Godfather. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then they were golden forever. Um, but THX 1138 was his first feature-length film, which... Have you ever seen it, Becky? I was going to ask you guys. I have not. Have you? I have I have seen it. I haven't seen it yet. Thoughts? I watched it way back in the day. Uh, it's not great. <laughs> um, it's... It... It's weird. Like, it's really weird. And I think that was kind of the point, but it's just really weird. And I remember watching it when I was, like, maybe 14, and I thought it was, like, so boring. Like, as a teenager, I was just like, oh, God. Like, I don't know why. It's uh, it's based on a student film he had done, a short. Um, yeah. It was released in 1971, and it was, it, as in his terms, a critique of a soulless future society where brutal police, video games, and tranquilizing drugs subdue the population. Sounds a little Blade Runner-y. Um, a little, uh, it, it sounds very Brave New World. And Brave New World, which he loved, yeah. one of his favorite books. Um, well, that makes sense. Its basic message, according to Lucas, is that, quote, modern society is a rotten thing. So... <laughs> Little, little, very Tolkien of him. Yeah, a little angry. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, apparently, and this is not the first, the last time this happened. The studio took it from him, recut it, didn't like it, um, drove Lucas mad. I, and he had a lot of these experiences early on. American Graffiti yeah. was the same thing, and I think that kind of led to him not wanting to be involved after Star Wars. But yeah. um, he actually, there is a director's cut of the film if you want to see his original vision that was released in two thousand and four, but. If you're one of those people who are like, oh, I hate the editions in 1997, grr, then you might want to go see the original one because they did a lot of work with ILM and added a lot of modern special effects. So maybe that would be more interesting to you, Josh, to rewatch it. I mean, it. that might have been the one I watched. I, I don't even know at this point. Yeah. I know that I watched it, but I have no idea which one I watched. <laughs> so I have no, I have, I have no idea. But... It's uh, it's it's an interesting watch if you're just really curious about some of the influences that Lucas had, but oof, and it's kind of rough. To quell the conspiracy theorists, there is no meaning behind the THX 1138, though those numbers and letters appear constantly in Star Wars as a throwback. Um, no, they're not really representative of anything. They're, uh, for- License plate in American Graffiti, also. Yes, I yeah. he, he keeps repeating that, but it's it doesn't mean anything. Um, yeah. Obviously, his huge success after that was American Graffiti. Um, he told Stephen Colbert at the 2015 Tribeca Film Festival that he made the film on a dare from Coppola, who was quote tired of Lucas's robot movies. Mm. Um, <laughs> And just to show you the weight that Coppola had, um, the Universal only gave them six hundred thousand dollars. But then, as soon as Coppola signed on to produce, they gave them an extra one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. So, wow. and there's some great footage of Coppola on the phone during the filming, yelling at the studio on Lucas's behalf. You should go find that on YouTube because it's freaking amazing. I mean, obviously Coppola's a imposing the, dude. The big brother, little brother thing kind of makes sense now. <laughs> totally, right? Yeah. But that film obviously is great. You should definitely go see it. It was five Academy Award nominations. Huge success. Um, Ron Howard took the role uh, to get out of Happy Days kind of image. Harrison Ford was a carpenter at the time, um, but signed on as long as he didn't have to cut his hair. That was his one stipulation. Um, (laughs) And back to his wokeness, um, (laughs) Lucas uh, uh, didn't make a lot of money 
as a contract for their director, but had some of the profits and it made so much money that he ended up making $7 million off of the film. But he, he surprised his cast by voluntarily giving them some of those profits, um, which he then also did with Star Wars. Um, and like a lot of people talk about how, you know, because he hated Hollywood and thought it was corrupt, he actually really ran the set as equals and that he really respected the actors and made sure everybody got their fair share, um, mm-hmm. which is pretty awesome. Um, yeah. That film is now in the Library of Congress, so it's a big deal. Um, but yeah, that's kind of his rise to Star Wars. I don't know if someone wants to take it from there and talk about Star Wars itself. Um, yeah, so Star Wars it, like was kind of born out of Lucas, basically. He had finished American Graffiti. He was a millionaire at this point. There was a funny, actually in that documentary, there was a funny story where like one of his friends uh, was visiting him and his current wife. And the, and the their fridge had, um, it was like transparent, which I've never seen, but it sounds very 80s, right? <laughs> or 70s. It sounds very 70s. And like, he said that he saw just stacks and stacks of like TV dinners in there and they were like getting ready to make food and and he was like you know you guys could probably hire a cook or whatever because they both were working in film sure uh and they just didn't have time to cook which is why they had all this and then they looked at each other and like oh yeah i guess we could do that (laughs) like like they uh they just didn't really think about the money like all that much and there was a there was a story like maybe a couple years ago where he gave away like two billion dollars to charity or something like that yeah lucas yeah th- there was some there's some charity that tries to get millionaires and billionaires to give away half their money <laughs> to charity and i, th- I like think that he, charity <laughs> think he did it yeah and then there was like articles where like you're not allowed to hate george lucas anymore which i mean whatever but um but uh going back to the birth of star wars it's born out of this 1950s very serial like he says buck rogers kind of thing very uh super cheesy kind of stuff um but he was enamored with them as a kid which like if you were growing if you were like a boy growing up at that time you you were probably enamored with that stuff because it was just on tv when you got home from school or like woke up on a saturday morning it was just like what was going on you know yep um so he wanted to do that with like Western stuff, and he also wanted to mix it with the like the, the like the the ideas and the mythological ideas and the tropes that he had learned about in school, like reading things like The Hero of a Thousand Faces and um, all all those other things, very like Joseph Campbell sort of ideas. Which I feel like if you want to have a really good understanding of what makes a lot of things in Star Wars tick. Uh, on Netflix right now is uh, Joseph Campbell's The Power of Myth. Ooh. And it's a six-episode thing where uh, Bill Moyers just sits there with Joseph Campbell and talks to him for an hour that sounds each amazing. episode. I have the audio book, and I listen to it regularly. That just cause sounds like my type of nerd out, like I really find hardcore. It, yeah, I f- they actually talk about Star Wars in it, too. That's great. In one part. 
Um, I can't, oh like, my god, I'd love to hear Joseph Campbell talk about Star Wars. That is so meta and amazing. Yeah, he talks about how it's like the best version <gasps> of like the best modern version of. Oh my gosh, I can I yeah. can I can feel George's heart like growing five <laughs> sizes hearing that. That's yeah. amazing. It's 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 great. I I listen to it all the time. Um, just because when I'm writing something or thinking about it, I'm like, well, I wonder if there was something in there that I forgot about. Mm. You know, some myth that they talk about in this that I that has some parallel. And a lot of times I'll find it. I'll be like, oh, yeah, this one line in, like, the third episode, like, makes a whole lot of sense. Like, when you think <laughs> about it from, you know, M- um, Empire or something, you know. Um, um, you said, just real quick, you said the word myth. And that just reminded me of this quote I found from, from George saying, Star Wars came out of my desire to make a modern fa- fairy tale. In college, I became fascinated by how culture is transmitted through fairy tales and myths. Fairy tales are how people learn about good and evil, about how they conduct themselves in society. Um, so, yeah, he, it, mm-hmm. it's interesting how, like, OG his inspirations are. Yeah. they. He's, I mean, the, the, the ideas that joseph campbell talks about are like uh taking all of these stories that are very similar from like all of these cultures across the world and finding like the meat and potatoes ideas that they are trying to convey you know um and i think george does a an amazing job of like taking those meat and potatoes and like modernizing them and that's and modernizing them for the time that star wars came out so it did sort of feel like modern mythology and it tapped into that very anti-authoritarian right sentiment that was going on at the time and it 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 also taps into just a lot of personal things that i'd never thought about until recently like the whole like you talked about earlier the struggle with his father is like prevalent through the entire thing and i've heard other people kind of point that out that like I mean, Luke is sort of a, let's be honest, like, it's, it's, Lucas is like, you know, like, uh, uh, what's the word? Yeah, I know. I can't. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's like his avatar in the universe yeah. <laughs> in a way, sort of. Uh, like, he is playing out the, like, eternal struggle between his real father, like, in this universe. Um, that he's telling and it's super fascinating to me and it's also something i thought of the other day when i knew we were going to do this episode he's weirdly like he's doing like uh very you know anti-war anti-government sort of stances on uh like in the 70s in star wars but he's also doing like it also kind of feeds into his like very anti-hollywood establishment yeah sort of like things where like the empire could be you know uh amalgamous to like the like hollywood or something you know and he's he's like trying to trying to fight it or something i don't know it's, he it's, hated the man he was not he a fan of the man <laughs> not a fan of the man that's a great that's a great rhyme there not you go man um but it's born out of all those things he it took him two years to write star wars and went through so many drafts and changes and if you want to read the original like first draft of star wars uh you can read star it's called the star wars dark horse uh published it but that version is pretty hard to get a hold of if you buy the 
reprinted Star Wars Infinities that Marvel reprinted, it's in there. So you can read in comic book form the original form of Star Wars. And let me tell you, it's completely different and not as good. I say you have that, don't you? <laughs> I do. Like the art's really good, but the the story is like you're like, wow, this really is like Buck Rogers. Yeah. Like it's just really cheesy. I feel like it lacks all of the things that he eventually landed on. Like it it's it lacks all of the myth and the symbolism. It just really feels like Buck Rogers. Yeah. Like it has no it has sort of no heart in a way. It's a good thing mm-hmm. that was the first it, draft then, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I was like, man, if if this was what it was, I don't think anyone would have really remembered it. Well, that's that's an interesting thing, though, I, I, um, because American Graffiti too went um, the first and THX both the first drafts. Coppola like threw out. He's like, this is garbage. You need to do it again, and he got help. And it kind of makes me think with the prequels. I'm not sure he had someone saying that to him. Um, Probably not. So, just a little observation. Yeah. Not ma- not not bashing the prequels. No, oh, we love but, the prequels. But I agree. Like there probably wasn't anyone. And also he didn't really write Empire and Jedi. Like he came up with the stories and like the things that would happen, but um I think like Kasdan and there was someone else who helped write on Empire. Yeah. Had a lot of influence over like the dialogue and Stuff like that. So, and speaking of help, like he put a lot of his money that he had gotten from um, American Graffiti into the film itself, like which is rare. Um, and one of his first hires was actually Ralph McQuarrie because he wanted someone who could accurately, you know, put some more weight behind what everybody was just thinking is silly Star Wars robot or silly yeah. sci-fi robots. And did you guys know that Ralph McQuarrie was a NASA illustrator? No, nope. that's awesome. That was his previous job. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That is cool. I'm jealous. He, I also just love... beautiful. I love Macquarie's art. Like, you can tell yeah. what's Macquarie just by looking at it. Yeah. It's like a cut above all the other pulp 70s art. Yeah. Sort of, you know? Although I have a very... Um, I have a deep love for 70s and 80s, like, pulp magazine art. I don't know, man. I love it. It's it, it it's all psychedelic. It's like some astronaut on acid, like flying through space. Like it's awesome. I love that what stuff. What was the Twitter that has all that art? Uh, there's one I follow called Seventy Sci-Fi that Art. One, that one is posts, so like, cool. It's always some tiny astronaut and some like giant pyramid on Mars. Right? That sounds awesome. And like and like oh, there's three moons and like skulls and uh, it's cool. I, and I a love million antennas on a tiny ship. Yeah. Very cool. Right. What is next in his career? So obviously we have the success of Star Wars. Well, just all of those. real quick, like that production right. was famously troubled, way yeah. over schedule. Coppola again had to get on the phone and argue on Lucas's behalf multiple times. Sir Alec Guinness thought the whole thing was BS from start to finish, and even even after the films were completed, he would he didn't want any part of it. <laughs> but um, you know. People stuck with them, and I think it wasn't until people started lining up to buy tickets that he got his due respect. But yeah, yeah. he even agreed to take less money 
for the movie in exchange for the merchandising rights. And studios were like, Psh, no one buys toy movie toys, whatever. Oh, boy. <laughs> so they gave it away. Well, and to learn more about that, definitely watch the Toys That Made Us Season 1, Episode 1, because they go into all that, and it's such a cool story. Yeah. That's it's, awesome. It's awesome. Um, I, I, I love it, dude. Toys That Made Us is so oh, I can't great. wait for Season 3. Oh, I, God, I, there's another I one? Sit, I watched the show <laughs> holding my toys. Like, I'll have a Darth Vader action figure, <laughs> like a vintage one, sitting next to me while we... I'm like, that's you on the TV. It's a great yeah. show. Like, if you're a toy collector, there's great. there's so much history with that. Yeah, they're working on season three right now. Hopefully it comes out next year. I think in a later episode, maybe we'll go into the actual production of Star Wars, um, the different films and everything that went, and the ins and outs of that. Because yeah. there's, there's a lot of fun facts, but... I know, Alex, you looked into his life after Star Wars, right? Yeah, so real quick before we get into the after Star Wars, at the same time as, you know, finishing up Empire Strikes Back and before Return of the Jedi, you had Raiders of the Lost Ark come out. So you've already started having him go into other realms. So you had that movie come out, followed up with four other Indiana Jones, or sorry, three other Indiana Jones movies. A lot of people don't like talking about the most recent one, but it existed. Uh, And then he also made Willow in 1988. So you see him moving away from the science fiction more into like the fantasy wizard, even like Hello? the Tolkien type of yeah. realm, which is really cool. Uh, went on to make the prequels. Can you guys and hear then me? He, uh, prequels were done in what, 2005, I believe, was the last one that came out. And uh, he decided he was going to make Josh, movies that me? were not Star Wars. He yep. said Lucasfilm was going to start is Alex doing gone? non-Star Wars no, movies. No, he's talking. Oh, sorry. Should I shut up? I should probably shut sorry. up. Sorry. I don't know that she heard you, but I hear She's you. She's gone on my so end. I'm sorry. Can we pause for a hot second? Can I restart? Yeah. You can hear me, Josh? Yeah. That's so weird. If I reload, will it screw I this thing up? I can hear you. She's gone on mine, but you can see her. Yeah, it seems like both of you can't see each other, but I see everybody. I don't know. We can do part two. Hang on. All right. So before he ended with Star Wars... Right between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, he released Raiders of the Lost Ark in 1981. Mm-hmm. Yay! So it was the first of four Indiana Jones and soon to be the first of five. The, the fifth one will be coming out some point. It keeps getting pushed back. Um, I did not know they were making another one. They are making a fifth one, yes. it was. Uh, I, I guess they had made some sort of deal with Harrison Ford for him coming back to do the, the newest movie, the, the Force Awakens. And part of the stipulation was that he comes back to do this. He does another Indiana Jones film. So aside from Indiana Jones, uh, in 1988, he released Willow. So he goes back. He's leaving the Star Wars universe. He's, he's you know, less space and more of this fantasy, mythological, kind of more with magic. But he still kind of has that magic sense with the Force. But in this case, it's wizards and, and witches and all that stuff. So it's if you haven't seen Willow, it's a great movie. And you get not. a lot of this. You haven't seen Willow? No. It's a it's fun. It has uh, Ron Howard as director, so you can start to see his connections with the relationships he's had over the years. So Ron Howard was in American Graffiti, directed Willow, and then not that long ago he was brought back to direct Solo. But mm-hmm. if, yeah, if you haven't seen Willow, definitely definitely watch Willow. So it's, it it's received really cool two movie. Academy Award nominations. Yes, it did. Willow yeah. did. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. I'm assuming for special effects. I had no idea. Yeah, it's, oh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, we know that he created the prequel movies, 
these special editions of the original films with ev almost with every single DVD and Blu-ray release there was a different edit of the original films mm -hmm. people loved them people hated them uh, there's a documentary called uh, The People versus George Lucas is what it's called it, that sounds terribly mean-spirited it is pretty mean it is it is pretty mean it's, it's very I feel like it's very one-sided um, it talks about people's reactions to these special editions that were released in 1997 and the prequels and like and the prequels and all that and it's it's very uh, the George Lucas ruined my childhood point of view which no, at the very end they kind of go against that but it's it's very I feel like it's very one-sided yeah at the end it's sort of got this like well without him like we wouldn't have had any of this so that's great oh yeah like, right like shouldn't that like, revelation you know, come before all of that nonsense <laughs> well what's great is that all these people that are complaining they show them with all their Star Wars merchandise like all this stuff and it's a lot of the stuff is more you know recently released stuff so it's not like he literally ruined their childhood they still continue to be fans of star wars they still buy the merchandise they still dress up as a character so it's kind of a hate them but love them at the same time love hate relationship and to me i feel like the those that complain about it ruining their childhood have a very distorted and skewed view on it like it's your childhood is what it is you saw star wars as it was back then things change you don't have to agree with it but it didn't ruin your your the first time you saw star wars you know yeah i always get the sense that with all these people it has nothing to do with star wars it's all these internal conflicts these people have about other things and they don't know how to process that so they put all of their anger and hate on something completely not about themselves um but yeah such a such a sad way for george lucas to kind of and his his Star Wars experience. I feel like every time I saw him, like after the prequels, he just looked tired and sad. Yeah, and so after he did that, the, he, they decided to start making movies that, or he decided that Lucasfilm would start making non-Star Wars movies. Because up to this point, Lucasfilm was just Star Wars. So they released Red Tails in 2012, and it's a, about the Tuskegee uh, training program during World War II. Oh. Didn't do very well in theaters, and what's surprising is that this movie was released in January of 2012, and then later on that year, on October 30th, Disney bought Lucasfilm for $4 billion. So I'm curious to see at what point they started discussing that happened in the 2012? sale of Lucasfilm. 2012, yep. Wow. It's been a while. Yeah, I mean, but that it, makes sense with the timeline, but it's like, boy, I didn't think about it like that yeah because think about this in 2012 it was sold and about early 2013 it was re like really announced that we're going to get new star wars movies so you look at about a two-year production time 2015 release of the force awakens yeah but this was not the first time that disney and lucasfilm had done things together uh you go back to 1986 and star tours opened up in disneyland would later open up in all the theme parks and he also worked on a project uh, with Michael Jackson called Captain EO. Yeah. Do you guys know who directed Captain EO? No. George Lucas. Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, oh, that's right. We've talked about this before. We yes, have to watch so, that. Dude, Captain was, EO is awesome. Oh, I loved it. it you know, I've ran never from seen it. Ran from 1986 to 1996. And then uh, back in 2015, after Michael Jackson's death, they brought it back into the parks. Yeah. Uh, I want to say it closed in, what, 2000. 
14. It, it ran for a number it of ran, years. Yeah, it ran for a little bit. They even had, like, new merch and stuff. Yeah, it's so amazing. We, when we went, we bought the buttons and the posters and all that. I wanted uh, a so, shirt. I might have to get a shirt. Oh. Or, like, a, oh, wait. Maybe they have a pin. Hang on. I just put they the have full a, thing in pin. our Discord server. <laughs> nice. I will watch that later. Yeah. They they do have a lot of the merchandise. It's a little harder to find, but I think I might have spares. So let me take a look. I think I bought a I'm few just going to type in Captain EO pin. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> right? So if you're a fan of Francis Ford Coppola, you're a fan of Star Wars, fan of, you know, Michael Jackson, Captain EO was the thing for you. It was a really cool show that they, that they did when they brought it back as the uh, Captain EO tribute. You can tell how much the uh, 3D technology had advanced. Like, it felt very old. Because, I mean, it was. It was over 20 years old. Mm-hmm. But, uh,. Aside from the Captain EO and Star Tours, you had the Indiana Jones stunt show opening up at uh, Walt Disney Studios. You had the Indiana Jones attraction open up in Disneyland in 1995. There's also another one in uh, Japan, and they have an Indiana Jones roller coaster in France. So Mm. for the past, you know, since 1986 up until the sale in 2012, George Lucas, Lucasfilm, and Disney have had an ongoing relationship for all, all, for a quite a few attractions so it's nothing no it's not a new relationship and now he's a disney legend as well and now he's a disney legend yeah is he really did he get a yeah august 2015 um and so he's gotten his due recently um from quite a few things he also barack obama um gave him the national medal of arts in 2013 so Mm. he's been getting his due recently which is nice cool yeah he'll be opening up his uh, museum soon too in LA, uh, the yeah, the Museum of Narrative Art. Hmm. I remember Which it was is, gonna be in Chicago, and then it wasn't. It was balancing between Chicago, LA, and San Francisco, and then Chicago went for it, and then something happened, fell through, coming to San. Or then it was gonna go to San Francisco, that fell through. Now it's opening in 2021, and what's interesting is that job postings just went up. Oh. oh, interesting. So if you want to get on the ground floor of curating the art, uh, look, go look at the Lucasfilm. They have a separate website for that job, but uh, there's a few out there right now. Well, I don't think it's a Lucasfilm job. I think it's a whole it's different like a, entity. Yeah, so it's a Lucasfilm art Because I think it's a, film, like it's a film museum in general. Like, it's not a... As far as I well, understand, it's the Lucas... It's like the Lucas... Space collection. film museum, not the Mu- Lucasfilm Museum. Well, it's of narrative arts. It's not just film, yeah. so it's any kind of storytelling. So right now they're in the process of curating and organizing the collection. Mm. So that's what the job uh, posting is. Yeah. I went to take a look, and I was like, mm. You've probably had to work in a museum for like 10 years just to have oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to try your luck, good luck. Yeah. And then I, I kind of forgot the giant... You know, thing that's opening next year, we have Galaxy's Edge opening in Florida and in California. So, for the first time ever, you'll be able to walk in an entire land based off of the creation of George Lucas. Like, there's not many people out there that you can say, uh, J.K. Rowling, because she has Harry Potter, but there's there's not many places where you can go and walk into <laughs> his brain. You're like, I have to take it back immediately. I take um, it back immediately. I know. I work at Universal. I'll also say uh, Pandora's amazing. In, yes, uh, Pandora. It's like weirdly awesome for a movie that I love, but, you know, still, it's phenomenal. Um, yeah. I wonder if George is going to go. Uh, he w- he's sure he will. 
I'm he's, sure. I'm sure he'll do a preview, but with no one there, you know. Yeah, they'll lock it yeah. down. He'll get to walk through and be like, "Oh, that one's pretty cool," and then that'll, that'll I be love that. You, George, was, you're George was he with Kermit the Frog right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Disney um, owns that too. We could yeah. get Kermit, Lucas in in the night in the uh, 35th anniversary video. They have Tony Danza walking into Star Tours, and they're talking to Gonzo on the screens of the Star Tours queue. So right there, you have a Star Wars Muppet What? Yep. And Tony Danza, for some reason. And Tony Danza. <laughs> he, he was big. In All the, your uh, favorite fandoms coming together. Yeah. <laughs> um, any more late-life George Lucas facts? Uh, he's just been... He, he has his winery, correct? Doesn't he have the Lucasfilm Vineyards? Yeah, I've had his that. wine. Is it terrible? No, it's it's good. There you it's, go. Uh, Skywalker Ranch, right? And that was just called. I've been, yeah, I've been there the too. Of it? Uh, yeah, Coppola Skywalker has Ranch. a very famous brand of yeah, he's, uh, he's, wine. Uh, I know that. He seems to just be trying to relax, trying to stay out of the, the spotlight. He did come down to Hollywood Boulevard for Mark Hamill's uh, dedication for the the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I yeah. think that was his last like big event that he he came out to aside from celebration last year so and it's also important to know that he's done with star wars there is nothing he's not going to get any money of any kind from star wars or indiana jones from here on out but don't feel too bad for him because he is worth about 5.4 billion dollars which for perspective that's more than steven spielberg and oprah winfrey um, and just as a counterpoint, if you think of other master creators, um, Stan Lee is only worth fifty million. So just putting that all in perspective. Well, yeah, it's it's not like Stan Lee, you know, helped create Marvel or anything. Like he didn't. He technically wasn't on the ground floor of Marvel. Like a lot of. And why I does think, he get to be in all the movies? Well, it's just because he's like one of the old guard. He's like a famous bullpen. Yeah, I mean, when he joined, it was standing too. yeah. When he joined, it was called Timely Comics, and <laughs> and they changed their name like constantly until finally becoming Marvel. And for a while, there were no superhero comics coming out of Marvel because superheroes didn't sell. So he was writing like cowboy stuff and things like that. It's fascinating so, to me. Yeah. Oh my god, and there's a great book I'll recommend you about like the history of comics. It's freaking fascinating. Ooh, speaking of comics, <laughs> I had two more extra little facts that I wanted to throw out there. Um, mm -hmm. One great quote I saw from, from Lucas was, um, I was never ashamed that I read a lot of comic books, which I think is a really good message. Um, his biographer that I was talking about earlier, Dave Pollock, observes in the book, the attractive graphics and simple messages made an indelible impression on him and percolated in his imagination for the ne next two decades until they leaped seemingly fully formed out of his imagination onto the screen for Star Wars. Lucas later said, there's more of me in Star Wars than I care to admit. Which I just really like that quote. Interesting. And Here's then a... one last note on money. Oh, you can go ahead, Josh. No, you can, you can go ahead. Mine's... Um, one last note. I know some people have heard of this, but um, Lucas was really nervous about Star Wars and whether or not it would be a hit. And Spielberg was making Close Encounters um, at the same time, and he was a little nervous, too. Um, and he turned to Spielberg and was like, oh, my God, your movie is going to be so much more successful than Star Wars. Yours is going to be the biggest hit of all time. I can't believe this set and what you're doing. Oh, my goodness. 
And then Spielberg is like, all right, I'll tell you what, I'll trade some points with you. If you trade some points, I'll give you 2.5% of Star Wars if you give me 2.5% of Close Encounters. And he honored that deal. Steven Spielberg, up until he sold Lucasfilm, Steven Spielberg owned 2.5% of Star Wars, uh, which is unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As if Spielberg needed any more money. But um, yeah, that also goes back into our story about how George Lucas cared more about the art and his friends than he ever really did about the money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, If, if if you want to get a really cool idea of what George Lucas was thinking about while making the original trilogy... There's a documentary that's out of print, but you can find the whole thing on YouTube called From Star Wars to Jedi, The Making of a Saga, uh, released in 1983, and it's right on the end of the production of Return of the Jedi. So you can see where his mindset was at that point, and you can kind of tell how it's changed over the years with the advancement of technology and how much he's edited his original films. I He has one of my f- most favorite quotes of his in that documentary. It's, it's my favorite documentary ever like it's just so cool uh, what's the quote it's it's him like it's at the end of the documentary it's him at a table talking about how he's like um it's it's fun to play in that world it's just like it's fun to play in that world but you have to come home hang on where is it at i feel like there was a i feel like i had it here but no it's like it's fun to play in that world but you have to come home but like um he talks about how he always he always feels like he wants to go to go back because it's a uh he's like it's a home there there's friends there and like there's always stuff that like and i'm like i love that but i know that's how i feel about star wars yeah (laughs) yeah fantastic well great guys wonderful amazing human who changed all of our lives hooray and if you want to be angry go watch the people versus George Lucas. It'll just make it. It makes me angry. I, I think know. it's worth a watch, though, just to see, you know. See the face and, of evil. And, and you can either agree or disagree with it. I don't agree with, with these people's points, and I think some of them take it a little too far. But, I mean, I could see where their frustrations come from. It sounds like the dogma that a lot of these online trolls, it's like, is that their Bible, that Any, movie? Anytime someone says something like, they spit in the face of the fans, I can't take them seriously. <laughs> Honestly, this new uh, this new era of fans, I doubt any of them have seen that documentary. No, well, let's not show it to them. <laughs> yeah, don't, if, you're, if, if you're a pissy fan, don't watch that. You know. Anyway, um, we have news to get to. Should we talk about the news? Let's do it. All right. All right, so got some news, and there was a Star Wars Resistance featurette. I I did not hear about this at all. And why? Oh why yeah, it's the, a it's a thing. Why is the top banner of StarWars.com being all weird? It's Their like website's I, funky. It gets super thick, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like super thin. I saw like I can only see the first few lines or whatever. Uh. So there was there was a featurette that I was unaware of, but I'm totally gonna watch it after this, where they introduced Team Fireball, which is the 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 team of people in the show. We'll have to watch that. Um, did you watch it, Alex? 
Yeah, it, it's just a quick rundown of who the characters are and the voice actors. If you go on to StarWars.com slash TV show slash Star Wars Resistance, or if you just type in Star Wars Resistance on the Star Wars website, it gives you a quick rundown of at least five of the characters. You have, I'm going to try to say these names. They're kind of hard to say. Uh, Kazuda Ziono. He's the humanoid with the uh, green jacket. Uh, you have Niku Bozo, who's the next next to. I think that's the species. Sure. Uh, Tam... Revora, uh, she's the the woman with the vest and the goggles. Jarek Yeager, who is in charge of the racing team, and then you have who I I always thought Chopper was the most like messed up droid, but this one is missing way more pieces. R one J five, and they refer to him as Bucket. <laughs> Love it. It's a great droid, droid name, right? Bucket. He's even wearing a little uh, what do you call it? Little helmet on his head too. Like he's missing most of his dome. No outer coverings. I mean, there's there's not much to him. <laughs> cool. That sounds super cute. I don't, Very exciting. Becky, were you here when we talked about the art style? Yes. Yeah. Are you, I mean, I I have no thoughts. No. Okay. <laughs> I I have I have a wide open mind. Good Just to know. Hugely open. I'm all about <laughs> it. Um. So. There were some new solo Star Wars story pictures released. Um, like, what are the what are these what are these pictures like renders basically? Like, well, it looks like these were you know production stills as to yeah. the character. So my guess is these were released pictures of Darth Maul. Um, it was on the Forbes website. We had an interview with Ray Park talking about you know him reprising the role, and they show full uh, body shots of Darth Maul in the movie. Spoilers, Darth Maul is in Solo, if you haven't seen it, me. Uh, they show him in his full garb, which is great because you see details that you don't get to see in the movie. Like, you see his lightsaber, which is nearly identical to the one that you see in Rebels. Uh, you see the first time realistic-looking legs, which is something you never got to see up until now. So these are just mm-hmm. be- these are production reference images for Darth Maul. They're I like- really cool. I like them. I like the update on here too. I can't wait to rewatch Solo. Cannot wait to rewatch yeah, that movie. Yeah, I'm pretty movie. excited. But apparently, you see a glimpse of his robot legs before you know who's speaking on the hologram. Yeah. So see, like they yeah. did uh, calf. <laughs> um, but also on here, which I didn't, I didn't catch. Apparently on Instagram, he spoiled that he was coming back. But the few fans that picked up on it were like speculating about it being an Obi Wan Kenobi movie. So no one really got it, even though he super captioned one like, you know, Star Wars, Solo, Mall, London, best time, thank you. And no one got it. <laughs> um, so these fans who feel like they're on top of everything, they let one slide there. Yeah. Which related to this whole Darth Maul thing, if you want to listen to uh, Sam Witwer talk about doing Maul's voice, there's a really good episode of the Star Wars show, I think released two weeks ago, and they talk about how he dubbed over uh, Ray Park's lines and how they kind of played back and forth with getting it just right. Hmm. Awesome. I would have figured that uh, Whitwer would have done it first and then just had Ray Park act well, over them. Uh, that's According to, to Whitwer, that's what he did. So he did the lines. Oh, okay. Ray Park mouthed them, you know, but he did things a little different, so then he had to go back and redo the line so it's oh, like, pretty much just to get it you know oh like redub them a little to the facial 
things yes. that he had. Yes. Okay, yes. that makes sense yeah. to me. Because uh, Ray Park, he knows how to do Darth Maul's face. He, he has to, you know, he does certain things to to get the character just right. So it was a it was a back and forth, but it apparently worked really well. And uh, yeah, it's a really cool interview. Just love that they did that. Love, love, love that they got it those is, two people to it do is that. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This next All story right. is the greatest. Yeah, I love it. Uh, Star, <laughs> it. I love it because it's just. Fact. It's like sh- it's, it's like chef's kiss. I don't know. Vindication. <laughs> yeah. Vindicated. Um, I've been playing a lot of Spider-Man, so I've got Dashboard Confessional <laughs> on the mind. St- <laughs> That's a joke for us olds. Star Wars: <laughs> The Last Jedi. Back in my is, day. Back in my day, Dashboard Confessional was a band. I put it on my Zune. Start, dude. I had a Zune. <laughs> I know you did. <laughs> Zunes were awesome for like a year. Uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi is top-selling Blu-ray release of 2018. Um, let's see. So, we can get, we can read off a couple of these. It's it, it's funny to note that mm, I feel like maybe okay, maybe not half of them. The the pretty much the top 4 of like the four of the top 5 are all star are all I almost said Star Wars movies are all Disney movies. Yep. Which I find incredibly interesting. So, Last Jedi is number one. It has sold three million copies. Woo-hoo! So it's made about seventy million dollars just in Blu-ray DVD sales. Goodness gracious! How are there that many people still buying Blu-rays? That's amazing. Continue. I I buy. Uh, I I always buy the Blu-ray. Yeah, I so I buy, I whatever the Star Wars movie is, and then whatever my favorite movie was that year, I buy. Aww, that's yeah, if I like, I just movie. don't buy that many movies. So like I. I'm like, okay, these these are the two that I'm going to get. Basically. Usually Disney, oh, sorry, not Disney, uh, Marvel and Star Wars are always on Blu-ray for me. See, I don't I, own, like, any of the Marvel movies, and I'm uh, like, at this point, it's like, I'm, I'd be so deep, you know? J- just wait for the, the Uber box set. I know, it's like, like once, hand or something once like Infinity that. War 2 is out, there's going to be, like, Era 1 box set or something, and it'll be, like, $400. That'll get in on. Like, okay. I'm telling you, it's going to come in the Infinity Gauntlet. But I think this is so interesting because, you know, Thor Ragnarok and Black Panther obviously got, like, so much positive Twitter hype in addition to great reviews. Star Wars, of course, got great reviews and great Twitter hype and then a small but very vocal amount of haters that were insisting that these these Blu-ray sales would tell the true story. And they have, which is that Last Jedi has beating Black Panther by 15% and Thor Ragnarok by almost 30%. So... I mean, the people have spoken, and just stop yucking the yum, because a lot of people are saying yum. Well, you can <laughs> complain all you want, but when Disney's raking in this kind of money, all your complaints mean absolutely nothing. Yep. Like, this I'm is gonna, a ton of money. I'm going to be honest. Uh, I, I think people will look up on this movie more kindly in the future. The way they 100%. did... The way they did Empire. People hated Empire when it came out. Well, it's also a part two of a three-part story. Yeah. It's like judging a book because you finished in the middle. There's more to this like story. Like you got to two towers and we're like, this is stupid. Yeah, the war is just beginning. <laughs> I don't. I know how it's going to end. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, like, you know, I, I love the movies with my... And I think I brought this up on a bunch of episodes. Movies with Mikey, the channel, they did a two-part episode, How We See Star Wars, and it's all about how people reacted to each of the movies and each movie even the first one number four you know a new hope the perfect movie many would call it 
had like people going, "Oh, it's so shallow and boring." Like, it's 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 I don't know. It's I, I think I, I, people will think about this movie in ten years and they'll be like, "Oh, it actually was really good." I just didn't see nine yet. Well, just, <laughs> just so, wait. You know. Just wait until they do the special editions of the prequel trilogy, and then they'll start complaining again. Okay, no lie, I kind of <laughs> would be into that. A hundred percent. More Gungans, right? Well, just, like, the effects haven't aged super well. If they went back and redid all of the prequel effects, I bet people would actually... I don't think you need to do that, though, because they redid, they kept redoing the they effects don't... on the original trilogy, and Jabba the Hutt kept getting worse and worse. Okay, but, hope. like, think about the way CGI looks now. Like, especially yeah, in Star Wars now, think about if they went back and, like, made all of the CGI in the prequels look like they look now. Quick shout-out, e- though. I think it. this. I think the CGI in the first film is very good. I, I think that Oh, in Phantom it, Menace? Yeah. yeah I think way it, ahead it's, of its time. I think it gets, it gets worse because they do too much to, integration. Yeah, I think it gets harder to, you know, you're, you're, suspend your disbelief when you get to a bunch of clones and only one actual live performer on the set. Yeah. But, but when there's it's, only so much you can do. You know? But, like, the droid versus the Gungan battle looks amazing still. Right? Yeah. Um, anyway, moving on. No more haters. Yeah. Real quick, Wakanda stole that idea from the Gungans. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I saw that. I saw that, and I was like, oh, my God. It really is the same fight. I, I shook <laughs> Megan on her show. and was like, the Gungans did that first when the movie came out. Yeah. And she just gave me this look. I didn't think about it at all, and then I saw the comparison shot, and I was like, wait a minute. Right? <laughs> it really Still, is the same exact fight. That's hilarious. Still haven't seen Black Panther. Shh. Uh, Don't tell anyone. I know, I know, I know. Anyway, moving on, moving on from my quick, shame. Netflix. It's on Netflix. I know, I know. This week. Greg Grunberg returning for episode nine. Greggy! Uh, Greg Grumberg is Snap Wexley. He's also a really good friend of J.J. Abrams, and he seems to pop up in every Abrams thing. He does, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, he was in Lost as the pilot in the in, in the pilot. He was the pilot, and he obviously had a mini season arc on uh, Alias, and he was in Felicity. And yeah, he's a good dude. So this is double confirmation that his character did not die in episode eight. Yeah, because we had, what, a comic series or something that came out that's going to explain where his troop was? Yeah, the Poe Dameron. I think it either came out already or comes yeah, out. Yeah, they're, they're doing the final arc of Poe Dameron right now. Maybe that's what it's about. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's they went off to try to find, um, what do you call them? An, uh, Help. Mm. <laughs> what do you word. call them? Other Help. people. <laughs> what do you call them? Oh, feet. Alliances. Uh, <laughs> oh, that was a Little Mermaid shout out. I like that. Yeah, it was. You should have sung it. More casting news. Oh, feet. Star Wars Episode Nine cast Matt Smith in key role. So I Doctor I I know most people know him from Doctor Who. I'm not a Doctor Who person. I only know him from The Crown. So I was like, oh yeah, that guy from The Crown. (laughs) But uh Yeah, that's cool. They don't know what role he's in, but I, I have a I have a feeling like just from looking at his face, he's going to be some uh, First Order officer. You know what I want him to be? And this is, like, legit awesome. He is not the first Doctor that has appeared in this series. This is oh. the second Doctor that has appeared in Who's Star the Wars. first? John Hurt in Episode 7. Um, the old guy who was with uh, Poe in the oh, beginning. Oh, in the very beginning. I want this guy. I want Matt Smith to be his son. 
um, and like avenge him. But yeah, isn't that cool? Double doctors, all can, about it. Can I also let you guys know of another Doctor Who Star Wars connection? Yes, always. So, Bosk from uh, Empire Strikes Back, his costume was a reused Doctor Who costume <gasps> from the original show. That's my favorite thing I've ever learned. So if you do a quick search for Doctor, or sorry, uh, Bosk costume Doctor Who, you'll find pictures. Amazing, wow. amazing, amazing, All right. amazing. Pretty cool, pretty cool. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, honorary Oscar for Kathleen Kennedy. So um, this actually comes from Jedi News. It says the Board of Governors at the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences have announced that they will present the Irving G. Talberg Award. Talberg. Thalberg mm-hmm. uh, to Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall on November 18th. Uh, and That's that, huge. That means that she, isn't she the first woman to ever win it? Isn't that the deal here? Yep. Oh, is it? Yeah, That's I amazing. think I yeah. heard. Yep. Yeah. I see that right here. Uh, it's 2018. <laughs> just just going to say that real quick. Uh, anyway, cool. Congrats for, to Kathleen Kennedy again. <clears throat> it's 2018. Um, yeah. Anyway. Very moving cool. Moving on. She's a badass. <laughs> yeah. What is Wait. this? So, there is a new book coming out called Star Wars Smuggler's Guide. Um, I don't know the publisher. I, I immediately was like, We're, uh, I am not publishing this book yours. because I've never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> um Real quick, this is a really Excuse cool me. series of books that they've done. They've done the Rebels Guide, Imperials, and Bounty Hunters. And they always come with uh, really cool display cases. So, like, the, uh, the Sith one came in a holocron that opened up. What? So awesome. They're really cool. And they're, they're books that tell the story, or at least they describe a certain group of people within world references. So, each of them act as a journal. So, you'll see... Uh, you know all the text but then you'll see notes written on the pages from the different bounty hunters or imperials or whoever uh, taking notes as if this was their book yeah i have the jedi code version of that that has all the jedis making notes in it with the different yeah pretty cool very cool cool. books are cool books are cool october 30th release nice right before halloween right before freak you out (laughs) oh man I, I was just thinking about this would be another cool episode like genres we'd like to see like like do you think we can ever have a Star Wars horror movie you know what I mean yes oh, Death Troopers yeah like Death Troopers yeah uh romantic comedies dude I would t- you know I'm not a romantic comedy person I would watch a Star Wars ten things comedy. I hate about Naboo. Wow. That got me. I thought that was that fantastic. Is perfect rhyme and everything. And oh, That's that my was, one for the year. That was a, That's great. <laughs> Let's just stop well the podcast executed. forever. Love it. We did it, everyone. We saved the dream. Uh, <laughs> this next news story is not really a, a Star Wars story. It's not, but it leads into something. I have, a, I have an interesting thought. I want to hear what you guys think about it. But Daniel Ooh. Craig uh, is going to star in this next Ryan Johnson movie. He's directing a movie called uh knives out it's a murder mystery it's going to come out before his new star wars projects oh so there i feel like there was this 
unwritten understanding or maybe thought that maybe his movie would come out the year after nine, which maybe seems a little preemptive. And now I'm starting to think with the news of like them maybe pulling back on the anthology movies just because the productions have been kind of a nightmare. Do you think we're going to get a movie in 2020? Because I have this feeling like we're not. I feel like we're going to get a live action show and no movie. I think honestly. Well, no, the show's next year. Is it the live show already? Yeah. Oh, shoot. Pretty sure. We'll get a Star Wars, uh, what was it, reruns or that dumb cartoon show i don't think we're gonna get a movie in 2020 <laughs> i don't know why you're so i love how you're like very you're you're very accepting of like everything, everything except that except show that because it's it's just <laughs> you're gonna be in the next you're gonna I be mean, in the next uh people versus like star wars lucas film or something and, <laughs> they and you're, you're gonna be like friggin seth green like i grew up on robot chicken and that's all we needed yeah we didn't know, nobody asked <laughs> Oh I don't think God. we're getting a movie. I think I think they're going to take a, a few years break because we're going to be getting a lot more live things, especially if we're going to be getting a TV show. A uh, Didn't they even like refer to it as a uh, Game of Thrones-esque show? So your production values can probably be really high. Um, I know that they have, I mean, the next three years, three to four years, are going to be insane for high production television. Yeah. Like, didn't uh, Amazon just say they were spending a billion dollars on the Lord of the Rings Goodness TV show? Yeah, the Lord of the did you not hear show, about yeah. that, Becky? That's too much money. They said, Who, yeah. Why do they have that much money? It's, it's going to be four seasons of just the Helm's Deep battle, which is going to be <laughs> awesome. Helm's Deep is like a chapter. Yeah, but it's a show. So, hey, they made The Hobbit into three I was going to say, The Hobbit's like five well, pages. The yeah. thing, you know what I think? I actually am kind of excited about steering off Star Wars for a second I'm actually kind of excited about that show because there are a lot of things that happen in the books that they don't necessarily matter but I feel like they add to the 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 weight a little more of of like the what they're trying to do the movies are really good and I and I love them but they do cut out a lot of things to get where they're going they cut out like just like they leave in just enough to like make them pretty accurate. Like they're fairly accurate apart from a couple of things. But like, I feel like you have the opportunity with the Amazon show because you can make it go so long. You have the yeah. opportunity to like really get into it, you know, like you know what really explore do, Middle Earth. So. And they should do this with Star Wars 2 and Middle Earth. They should get Ken Burns to do a documentary series. <laughs> I'm all about it. But like a but like a in universe documentary, yeah. like how he so does good. Civil War. Some but, but some like, uh, <laughs> some stormtrooper in the Battle of Hoth. It's like violin. He's like, dear <laughs> Martha, <laughs> we are on the front lines of Hoth. We have found a rebel base. <laughs> if I do not, if I do not return. Know that I love you, and then and you send our children my regards. You have a voice that comes in, but TK42927 would not return home that night. He was shot in the <laughs> and later eaten by a wampa. That's really, really good. We're going to do that. Let's do that. That's our fan film. By the way, if you're doing the uh, fan awards, your days are running out. You have to turn it in by the 17th, so hurry up. Get on it. Is it time for our creature? Um... 
Yes. I was just checking to see. Um, yeah, it is. It is. It is time for a creature. And right before we go, I remembered what I was looking up. I was trying to see when the live-action show is supposed to debut, and look at this article doesn't even have it. What the? <laughs> Just tell me. I Just tell me. Out. Expected to launch in 2019. That means nothing. That's what it says. And I bet it's going to be on the streaming channel, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be on Disney Direct or whatever they're calling it now. Because I've heard like four different names. Yeah, I saw one site's calling it Direct, and then the next day, like, oh, nope, nope, nope. It's not called that. So. No, it's called like Disney, uh, like Beam or so. Like, I don't, you're like, okay. It's Disney Flex. Disney Flex. <laughs> Net me. Sure. Okay, that's good. All Let's right. move on. Creature Ooh, of the Week. Oochabuck. They want a wonga. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. <laughs> Do the net knee. Knee, knee, knee. <laughs> All right, our creature of the week is the Steel Pecker, which we actually see in Force Awakens for like a split second. We do. And it's that gross vulture bird that's poking the steel. <laughs> Mary on the nose without name. Yeah. Yep. Steel Peckers were non-sentient species of carrion bird native to the planet of Jakku. They had beaks and talons that were tipped with iron. They fed... Ooh mainly on metal to which they were drawn to by its magnetic signature to di to digest the metal they consumed steel peckers stored vanadium osmiridium and um mm. yeah great corundum sure in their gizzards and they're obviously named after their diet <laughs> Um, the best part is the behind the scenes here, this information, that the concept for the bird originated in conversation between JJ and Spielberg, which is amazing because I just love the idea that JJ is like working on his script and it's like, yo, Steve, I want a bird. Like, yeah. what do you got? What are you thinking? Um, it's just adorbs. It's just I, adorbs. I would love just... Uh, I, all of the behind the scenes shots of Spielberg like coming to the Star Wars sets because yes. you know he did. Of and, course. Like in, in the uh, episode one documentary, he shows up and it's like there's there's just a cameraman with like a handy cam following him and George around while he shows him like battle droids and stuff. That's and adorable. It's so interesting. And I know we've talked about it before, but J.J. and Steven go way back. J.J. Oh, yeah. was first hired to convert all of Steven Spielberg's home videos from when he was a kid. Um, and he did that when he was, like, 16. So they're, like, OG best friends. Wow. But I remember I remember the Steel Pecker, like, really stood out in my mind when I first saw Force Awakens. Because it was, like, one of the first creatures you see. And it's just really reassuring because it's real life. It's special effects, like, in, in like, you know. In world in world effects mm -hmm. um practical practical there we go that's the word uh <laughs> so yeah doing his thing eating that metal yeah he doesn't look particularly fearsome he looks no. like he's halfway to death like a vulture but still wouldn't want to mess around with him yeah all right um i think that's it if everybody's good to go we can wrap this episode up let's do it all right cool uh that's going to do it for us, folks. If you'd like to get more episodes of the show, 
you can go to a starwarspodcast.com where we have all of that stuff including uh, links to all of our social media feeds but we'll tell you how to get to those right now if you want to follow me directly um, you can do so at twitter at the jawa josh how can the folks find you I am on Twitter at Rebecca June Lane, and our official Twitter is at LTA underscore radio. And if you want to listen to us, do some watch-alongs and get other fun, cool stuff, all you got to do is go to patreon.com slash radio. Give us as little as a dollar, and you get cool new content. So check that out. Yeah. If you want to follow me on Instagram, I am dapper underscore fit facebook.com slash long time ago radio we also have an instagram at lta radio so go follow us there we'll post uh, different things we just posted some pictures from long beach uh, comic con so whenever we go to an event we try to show you whatever star wars stuff we can find for sure i i i meant this week to hook up the vcr and record my uh return of the jedi tape and like how skippy it is but I forgot. So <laughs> I need to do that this week. Put it on the Instagram because it's pretty funny. Real quick, when I move home, we're gonna watch all those movies on VHS. Yes, I'm yes. down for this party. And Becky, right? you're gonna come for that too. And we'll just we'll I'll watch do it. From Star Wars to Jedi, we'll do all of that stuff. I love from, it. From Ewok to holiday <laughs> special, all on VHS. I'd be like, we are going to need. A lot of resources to make it through. Yes, Some good are. blue I, milk. Yeah. That's what we'll call it. <laughs> 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 Anyways, may the force be with you, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. See you.